Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time to break the silence and open up the dialogue around the topics of miscarriage and baby loss. No more shame. No more taboo. Let's ditch it for the sake of our children. The ones who are, the ones who will come. And in memory of the ones who never came to be. This is the Worst Girl Gang Ever podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Worst Girl Gang Ever. We are joined from Glasgow by Colette. And just before you talk, Colette, I just want Laura, go on. (laughs) Yours has got an amazing, amazing Glaswegian accent that I think we all need to hear. Go on. Glasgow. <laughs> what do you think, Colette? Mark's accent? Not bad. Not bad. It's 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 <laughs> Remember the wine gums advert? There's yeah. juice loose about this hoose. Was that wine gums? Yeah, I think so. It, was it Glasgow? Brown trees, wine gums. Do you remember it? Not, no. Not, I thought there was a moose. There's a moose loose about this hoose. Oh, there's juice. What? Where was the moose? What was the moose doing? <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to have to look this up. Oh, man. Anyway, Colette, it's lovely to have you here. Thank and you so much. You've been listening to the podcast for a while, haven't you? Yeah, um, it was one of my friends that recommended it to me. Um, and it's really, really helped. So, yeah, I've been sadges in my ears for a while now, every week. Oh. You've been what, sorry? Had you in my ears for a while now. Oh, had you. Every my- week, just listen oh. along. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought that was a Glaswegian thing. Pack your my ears. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> oh, I love it. It is my accent, Bex. So, um, so let's start at the very beginning then, Colette. Tell us how you came to be a member of the worst girl gang ever. Yeah, um, so when I was nine, I was diagnosed with a condition called Turner Syndrome. And that's kind of the backstory behind my infertility. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard of Turner syndrome before or you're aware of kind of what yeah. it is. I actually have a friend who's, whose daughter has just been diagnosed. I think she's oh, wow. about seven. Um, but yeah I've, yeah, I've learned a lot about it through them. Oh, that's good. Yeah, so um, if you could talk about it. Yeah, um, so it's a female-only genetic disorder. And it occurs when the baby's developing and they have one kind of normal, regular X chromosome and the other chromosome is either fully missing or partially missing. And that kind of affects the baby's development. So actually only 1% of Turner syndrome pregnancies actually survive and wow. make it to, to birth. I know it's quite scary statistics. So, um, I mean, presumably when your mum was pregnant with you, they didn't mm-hmm. test for it then? No, no. So if it does, isn't flagged up, during like routine scans mm-hmm. or at birth, it's usually diagnosed just before puberty. So kind of between 
like seven, eight, nine, that kind of time. So that's when I was diagnosed. How, how did it like? How did it manifest itself? How? Why did you go for that diagnosis? Um, it's going to sound like a silly term, but I lost height, so I actually oh. got smaller, um, and always kept quite unwell. Always had like digestive problems. Always had like urine infections. Was always quite sick. Um, didn't really have an appetite or a good diet, things like that. Um, so they were kind of trying to get to the bottom of it for a while. Um, but that losing height was the kind of indication, oh, we need to kind of test for this. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. And what did they do when you had that diagnosis? What did they do with it? Uh, so I immediately started growth hormone injections. So each night, um, and that's the kind of treatment to kind of try and help you grow and develop. Because you're missing a lot of hormones. You don't produce the kind of natural hormones that, a normal female would so and trying to help you to grow as well so yeah so growth hormone injections straight away and did so, that did it help did did you start to feel better uh no in my case not um it just kind of depends if you respond well to the hormones so in my case I didn't kind of grow much more um and I still kind of kept quite unwell which is just what happens you either kind of take to the the hormones or you don't sadly <laughs> treatment changed over the years is there is there now more things that they can do or is, is that the first line I don't, I don't kind of think so I think it's that hormone kind of replacement and trying to get that balance correct for yeah. you know what's missing yeah so, so you ever, sorry go on so so were you ever spoken to about your fertility when you were diagnosed and under the care of a specialist yeah, so when I was diagnosed, um, I remember it really clearly. The doctor kind of drew out chromosomes and was like, this is what regular chromosomes would look like and this is what your chromosomes would look like. And there was quite clearly a bit missing. And then he kind of said to me, do you know about periods? Do you know about fertility? And I was kind of like, well, as much as any nine-year-old yeah. kind of would. And the kind of line they just said was, you may not have periods at all. Um, your body might try to have a period. Um, we'll need to wait until kind of puberty, but... When you're older, if you want to have a family, we'll we'll help you. And that was kind of all that was said. So mm. I took it as that, as a an nine year old kind of. Mm. All right. So when you know the time comes, they'll help, and that'll be fine. Have you um, ever spoken to your mum about how it was hearing that news for you? Like- yeah, um, I remember it really clearly. Mom's quite a strong Glaswegian woman, kind of takes care of everything, and nothing bothers her. So, but she was quite visibly upset and. She just kind of kept saying, I'm really worried about you. Um, I don't know what's going to, what your life's going to kind of look like. But as a resilient nine-year-old, I was like, I'll be fine. I'll just yeah, yeah, do these course. injections and I'll be fine. Um, so I had to kind of wait to see if my body would have a cycle. And then when I was 13, I did start to bleed. And I remember being a bit frightened because in my head, I wasn't going to have periods. That was great to me at that age, thinking, oh, yeah, I'm not going <laughs> yeah, to have right. Yeah. <laughs> and then I remember waking up one morning and I was bleeding and, Periods never even came into my head because I wasn't going to have them because of my condition. So I was into the kitchen. I kind of said to mom, mom, I'm, I'm bleeding. And I remember her smiling, which at the time I thought was really weird because why would you smile when I'm bleeding? But obviously now as I'm older, I realised she was thinking, oh, this is a positive step. This is, yeah, this is a good a good sign. Um, so, yeah, and I think from that age, she was kind of worried about what the future would kind of look like um, for me. She still does, even though I'm, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so when you um when you got a bit older and you started getting into relations and re- becoming like getting into relationships and stuff, did you kind mm. of 
did you talk about your condition in terms of fertility with new partners or um, I did with with one partner but it's that awkward isn't it because you don't want to mention it on your second date because then you look like you want to get married and have babies on the second <laughs> date and then if you don't mention it then and you're kind of developing your relationships going the correct way then have you been hiding something so it's it's quite tricky isn't it to find that when's the right time to gonna say yeah. um with um a partner I had before I met my husband I kind of just spoke about it and said oh you know I've got this condition I take medication and and it affects kind of my fertility and he was really kind and he wasn't too overly concerned he was like well if we're going to be together we'll just kind of deal with it um and then when I met my husband um we'd been friends for a long time so he kind of knew anyway so oh, there yeah. wasn't that awkward conversation um, and then when we started getting quite serious it was him that kind of brought it up and was like oh I know that that's one of the like an issues with your condition and we kind of spoke about it then and he was the same and he was kind of like we'll just work on it together when we get to that stage and see kind of what happens um, and we, we kind of got to that stage quite quickly um, only kind of a year or two um, after getting together and um, we decided to kind of not waste time um, we're both kind of in our late 20s and just thought if we leave it a couple of years it could be much more difficult so we kind of jumped in quite quickly to be honest and so yeah. what does that look like, jumping in? Like, did you have to go back to the specialist before you started trying? Yeah, so I, um, I, I attend kind of gynaecology every year anyway, just to check on how things are going, my hormone levels and things. And they would always say, when you're thinking about having a family, just let us know. So I was getting all excited. My appointment was coming up and I was finally going to say, yeah, I'm thinking about it. Mm-hmm. So kind of went and they kind of asked the question. I said, yeah, me and my partner have been thinking about it. And they were like, all oh, right, so we'll start you on kind of the IVF kind of trail. And to me, I know I knew that's what it meant when they said you're going to need help, but to actually hear it and think I was really naive. I think I think I just kind of put it to the back of my mind before. But kind of it got serious. Did you kind of hope that they'd say, Oh, just you know, try try naturally and then did you so yeah. what cycle like at this point? Did you have regular um, yeah, my periods have always been horrendous, like utterly horrendous, really bad pain, really heavy bleeding, sickness, kind of headaches, not being able to move. So I was having a cycle, but um, with girls with Turner syndrome, fertility issues can be quite varied. So some girls will not have a womb or ovaries at all because they've just not grown. Some will have have them, but they'll be really underdeveloped. Um, I'm quite lucky, my womb and my right ovary are actually all right. It's my left ovary that's extremely underdeveloped. Um, but in my case, what happened was before I hit puberty, um, my ovaries kind of dispersed of all my eggs, which is quite common in girls with Turner syndrome. So I kind of knew that I didn't have eggs and I knew I would have to go through IVF, but I think just the the discussion kind of took me back of you. But I think I'd really, really pushed it to the back of my mind. Because I thought it'll all be fine. Everything's all right. It'll just I'll go and get help, and that'll be it. So that kind of reality of it was quite hard, and I don't think I realised how much I wanted to be a mum or wanted a child until that kind of initial conversation. Yeah, I'd always put it back in my mind, but then as soon as they spoke about that, I was like, no. How did I not realise I want this more than mm. anything? And how did I not realise that this was the most important thing? Um, so, so that initial conversation was tough. So your your only option was donor eggs, is that? Yeah, uh-huh. so basically that was my only option. And 
I kind of knew that in my head, but when we had that initial conversation, I then kind of went through a grieving process of, right, I'm not going to have a child who's biologically mine. That's fine. But I need to kind of deal with that first and kind of get my head around that. Even though I knew that might be the case, Mm. it was facing the, the reality of it. It's almost like because we've spoken to lots of women who have used donor eggs and, and it's almost like you've skipped that part of the journey because they have come to a point where they've tried with mm-hmm. their own and they haven't been able to yeah. obtain a successful pregnancy. Mm-hmm. It must have felt like your whole childhood was leading up to that. So Yeah, I think that's it. The mm-hmm. process of you trying to get your head around and I know certainly from my perspective, I asked you about the question when you get into a relationship, mm-hmm. I was my fertility was completely I didn't have periods yeah. so and I it it really hung heavy with me when mm. I was in a relationship because it's like what do I tell them and how do I tell them and when do I and exactly how do you bring it up carry so much mm. with you through through your childhood not knowing whether you're gonna be in inverted commas normal in terms mm. of stuff so that on its own is is such a big thing to go through so then yeah. Straight to the point because I think as a child and as an adolescent as well, you tend to assume that everything's going to be okay because that's just we all live in the moment when we're young, don't we? Yeah, we've of course. Think about the future. So when you're suddenly faced with that specialist, presumably in a in a you know medical environment, saying right, mm. this is your only option, that must have been a huge, huge thing in your life to then have to go right. Okay, I've been living with all of this that I've known mm. and have not thought about, and now. I've quickly got to get my head around this before I yeah. can any further. That must have been a huge exactly. thing. Exactly. It was it was really difficult. And as I said, it was like a grieving process. And I think I had been putting it to the back of my mind because I knew it was going to come up one day. Um so it was quite it was quite difficult to, to process that. It was a really, really hard time. I think that was maybe one of the hardest times through this whole journey that I've been on. And I also feel like because my periods were so horrendous, like I feel like my kind of late teens and early 20s revolved around my terrible cycle and how painful the periods were and how kind of dismissive sometimes the doctors were and stuff. So my life was kind of taken over with my cycle and periods anyway. So it was always there, but I just never quite yeah, always did the face. Yeah. Always something mm-hmm. you have in the back of your mind. That's so, it's yeah. dreadful, it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. It's exhausting. That's exactly the word, yeah. Exhausting. So what happened next, Colette? So I had a discussion with my husband and we spoke about my sister had always offered to to be an egg donor. Um, so we kind of talked about that and what were the benefits of having, you know, my sister to be a donor or a, an unknown donor. And initially we thought, right, I would maybe rather be a known donor. So we'll kind of work with the idea of going with my sister. Um, but she just had my nephew at the time. So you have to kind of wait a period of time where you're not breastfeeding and things. And during that kind of time we were waiting, we kind of decided it would be better to have an unknown donor. Not from my perspective or my husband's, but I quite worried about how my sister would deal with the process and how that would affect her. And obviously she was a mum already and she has a husband, so we kind of went on the, right, let's go for an unknown donor. Yeah, what a difficult decision. Mm-hmm. It really was. pros and cons of both, can't you? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think probably your 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 heart says just, it would be so wonderful to have it genetically related. Mm, in some way, yeah. Your head is like, oh, okay, is this really, 
Is this really mm-hmm. the right thing? How difficult yeah. could it prove for us all in the future? Yeah, exactly, because you're thinking the here and now, but you're not thinking. You know. amazing. As soon as you said that, I was like, yes, that's such a lovely idea. I love it. <laughs> and then as you say, like looking at it fr- from your perspective, I mean, mm-hmm. but looking at it from your sister's perspective, there would, there must always be, a, like you must have thought this through, like in the future, will my sister look at that child like it's in any way her child? And <laughs> that's all stuff that you've got to think about, isn't it? It's yeah. such a big thing. I think it went on, the, the time we had to think, can I think about it? And as my, my nephew was growing up, I think the more time we had to think about it, the more... I was thinking, I was really worried about, as you say, how would she look at it and how would she deal with it mm-hmm. in, a lot, in the long term? Yeah. You decided to go with a, an unknown donor. Mm-hmm. So um, we looked at kind of doing it through the NHS, but they don't seem to have an abundance of donors. They don't seem to have, and it's, it was a long waiting list. So we looked into private clinics um, and there was one here in Glasgow. So we got in touch with them and can explain my situation and their first suggestion was, well, we don't know because of your condition if you would even respond to all the hormones um, that you would have through IVF. So I kind of did like a trial run, a kind of dummy run oh, of hormones nice. to see if my if my womb and everything would thicken up and if my hormone levels would go up and stuff. So that was July 2019 um, and everything went fine. I responded really well to the um, to the hormones, so it was all kind of good to go. At that time, there was kind of four or five month waiting list time. So that was great. I was ready to kind of get started. Um, and then we all know what happened at the kind of end of 2019, start of 2020. Uh, oh, yeah. so four or five months turned into 18 months, um, which was extremely frustrating. The waiting and the being held back was, yeah, that was not a fun time. That must have been even harder, given that you've you've already had this kind of dummy round and mm-hmm. it's Wow, you must. There must have been a certain point of view thinking, yeah. "Wish that was the real round," and we've yeah. so much mm. further on by now. It was just so frustrating because we've been talking about it since like 2017. We kind of got to talk to the doctor in 2018. This was now 2019. We're ready to go, as you say. We've done the dummy run. It was all looking good, and then COVID. So yeah, it was really frustrating. I, I didn't cope well with that at all. No. Um, I hate, it was awful. And sitting in the house and not being able to do things didn't make it any easier. And at the same time, you're getting still getting these heavy, horrid periods. Oh, uh, yeah, horrendous. Um, I was just thinking, I just I'm having this this cycle, and it feels like it's for nothing. I'm having this terrible time every yeah. month, and it's wasted. Yeah, it's not leading me anywhere. Mm-hmm. So, the warriorship. We wanted to come and tell you a little bit about it, didn't we, Bex? And in case you're already going, why we don't want to know about a fucking ship? The Warriorship is our online membership for warriors in this community. It's packed full of stuff. So we just want to tell you about some of the stuff. All of the content from all of the courses that we ever run is in the Warriorship. So there's loads to get your teeth into. And we are also developing modules for what happens after. But not only that, we've also got a ton of educational workshops running once a month in the coming months we have got body positivity workshop gratitude workshop and loads 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 more and on top of that we also have a resident mental health specialist and on top of that if if that wasn't enough there's 13 events every month and there's stuff popping up all the time as well that other people are organizing that you can be a part of so it really is thriving and all you have to do is head to the link in our bio or visit our website 
and you can be a part of this too. We'd love to see you there. So when did you eventually get to start? Oh, the end of 2020, so December in 2020, finally got the phone call. was delighted because I'd been waiting all that time uh, and we kind of started straight away. Um, I coped really well with the, the hormones and everything. I didn't really have any bad side effects, which I was really surprised about. I kind of was thinking, right, my body's all over the place. I'm going to have horrendous side effects, but I actually coped quite well. Um, everything went kind of as it should. Um, kind of a couple of weeks on the injections and the hormones, and then it was a transfer time. Um, we had seven eggs, and it was two of them that survived, which was was quite good. Two of them kind of grew into embryos. Um, then one was suitable for transfer. So I was thinking, well, all you need is one. You don't need anymore um, so was transferred and I had the two week wait which is also horrendous um, and sadly it didn't it didn't take it didn't work um, which was um, quite difficult because I kind of went into kind of come back to the running theme here of me being too optimistic I kind of went into it thinking right this is it this is what I've been thinking about and this is where we've been going and it's just all going to work out it has to it, it needs to this needs to be the one um, this time I think a unsuccessful IVF transfer is 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 just as bad well sorry I think an IVF unsuccessful IVF transfer is at a loss mm-hmm. you when you when you have um when you have sex to have a baby right mm-hmm. you know that it, you know you have sex and it's not it's not clinical it's not medical it's mm-hmm. not in the ideal yeah. condition Whereas if you, when you have IVF, everyone there is an expert in what they do. Yeah. The, the situation is completely perfect. You know, everything that they've done is completely right for for this like scientific. Yeah, it's so controlled, isn't it? It's it's yeah. like the best chance possible. Exactly. All the conditions are right. Everything everything is right mm-hmm. there. So you just kind of assume that it will happen because mm-hmm. too. So when it doesn't happen. It's it's this major loss because the situation mm-hmm. was perfect for it to happen. It's not like when you have sex and it may or may not happen because you don't know this and that and the other. Mm-hmm. It's like it's what you're doing. It's essentially mm-hmm. what you're there for. Yeah, so like how can it not work? It's yeah, everything's happen. right. Everything's but doing what it should be doing. It's been a huge blow to you when you discovered that when you took the negative pregnancy test. Yeah, it was awful. Um, so that was kind of January, um, kind of twenty twenty one. We're still kind of in lockdown and things I was working from home and that was maybe a good thing because I didn't have to see anyone or put on a pretense or things like that but yeah it was not a good time it was I think I took it really hard because I'd been so positive and I was just convinced it was going to work and I was I was really optimistic and yeah it was another grieving process really yeah Yeah. did you take some some time out I didn't and everyone told me to everyone told me I'm a teacher so we were um, teaching from home at that point um, and everyone told me just just let your work on, just take time off. But I'm the kind of person that I need to be busy or I need something to focus on. If I had just sat and did nothing, I think that would have been a lot worse maybe for me. So I just kind of kept going, um, even though it was difficult. Yeah. And what happened after that then? Um, so decided right, let's you know kind of go again. Let's have another round. So then the waiting list was two years long rather than the four or five months because of COVID and yeah. backlogs. And I just thought two years, like I've been on this journey for so long, another two years is, that's just, that didn't sound appealing to me at all. But 
it was our only kind of option. Um, so that only led us to the summer and uh, back in June there. Um, how did you how did you cope in the meantime? What what? I didn't. What? <laughs> okay. um, it was really difficult. Um, tried to keep busy, tried to keep distracted, but every day I was kind of looking at my phone. Um, they've got like a kind of app um, for the clinic that I was at, so I was checking the app. I was phoning every few months just to kind of check in and see if the, the list was going a bit faster. Um, but yeah, it just kind of consumed everything. Like I was plodding along doing my day-to-day and kind of living life, but it was, yeah, like a cloud hanging over you, really. And how did he... I imagine that, I mean, two years is a, knowing that you've got to wait two years is such mm. a long time. How mm. many people around you fell pregnant and had babies during everybody? That yeah, everybody. <laughs> um, so my sister had um, my niece as well. Um, my best friend had a baby. My cousin had a baby. Like we're just at that age where you know everyone's kind of settling down and starting a family. Colleagues as well and parents. Colleagues, yeah. Uh-huh. So it was, it was just everywhere and you can't avoid it. And, you know, people can't stop having children because you're struggling. But yeah, it was everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. That make it um, more, well, how, how did it feel going going through that and having all of these people rushing past you? Did it make the wait longer? And It did. And I kind of started to compare the wait to like, also, my friend's pregnant. Now she's had the baby. Now the baby's turning four or five months. Get me now. I kind of, I was obsessed with time and obsessed with, well, that's another Christmas that's gone by. That's another birthday gone by. Um, and it was difficult because it felt like I was kind of the odd one out. And it feels like when all my friends, some of them were pregnant at the same time, some of them just had a baby, some of them were trying. So it just kind of felt like you can't join in the conversation. You can't, you know. That also that's all they talk about because obviously that's the most important thing and that's what people who are having families do but yeah it kind of makes you feel a bit on the outside if that yeah, makes sense behind, I think was always yeah. a common a common feeling mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh bless yeah. you so that brought us up to when yeah so that was June um, just gone and then from that cycle we had two embryos that were that were good so we had one in the freezer um, so my husband wanted to take a bit of time and until we kind of looked at the the other embryo, but um, I was on kind of my summer holidays and I thought, you know, if we're going to do it, let's just go for it. I'm off work, which is ideal. Um, and we've wasted so much time. If we wait another couple of months or we wait till Christmas or till next year, it's not going to benefit us. So we kind of went straight into another round um, in July, August. Um, so same thing again, started the medication, everything was fine. Um, the embryo was fine when they thought it um, was transferred um, and that round was unsuccessful as well so that was our kind of last little hope um, so that was only last month so that's it's still quite fresh and still quite raw yeah I can yeah. imagine mm-hmm. I'm so sorry it's just rubbish that's the only way to describe it isn't it it's just shit totally rubbish yeah sure. <laughs> yeah Oh shit! And how have you how have you sort of managed that loss in terms of your mental health and your coping strategies? I think I've just tried to be distracted and I've tried to keep myself busy, but because it kind of feels like that round is quite final. Um, you know, there was no other embryos to use. Um, I don't think I can mentally put myself through it again. Um, so I think that that felt quite final. It was very different to the other rounds because at least we had maybe another avenue and another try. Um, 
So the last kind of six weeks have been quite tricky, just trying to get my head around, right, this is what my future is going to look like. It's not going to be the way I was wanting it to or the way I envisioned it or um, it's going to just be very different. Not worse or better, just extremely different to what I'd pictured in my head. Yeah. It kind of, it been like, yeah. Gosh, it it must be so, so difficult to get your head around when you, you've been on this journey for so long. Oh, you know, that's the outcome that you're after, mm-hmm. right? You want yeah. to have a And, um, yeah, that's, it's a whole grieving process again. Yeah, it really is. And it's it's kind of what do you do with yourself now? Because as I said, my period has been kind of taking over my life and then, you know, the waiting process and the appointments and everything was taking over and all the medication. And now it does kind of feel like, what am I going to do with my time? Like, what, what did I do before that? I was you know, in this kind of journey. Are there any good sort of accounts that you've followed in terms of transitioning into childlessness and childless not by choice? And Well, there's a lot of ones that have um, kind of people who've been on on your podcast that I've I've found really, really helpful. Is it the Child Collective or something? What's the... Yeah. Yeah. Um, So she's been really helpful and I feel like there's loads out there, which I didn't realise until I kind of was put in touch with you guys and then kind of followed from people that I was listening to on your podcast and it's quite helpful and it's good to know that you know you're not the only one because that's what it feels like it does feel very isolating and very lonely but yeah it's been kind of helpful that way. Have you looked up Sharla um the Grateful Hearts Club? No I don't think I have no. She's um she's one of our friends at TWGGE and she's Mm -hmm. a hugely sort of devastating and and inspirational story and Mm -hmm. Navigating life without children, you know, mm-hmm. not choice. And she's a, a, re- a really positive kind of lovely, lovely person to listen to. Mm-hmm. And so grateful parts club. That's it. Isn't oh, it? Right, I'll definitely look up that. So I'm kind of looking at yes, episode nineteen actually. Right, I'll write that down. Okay, <laughs> Jodie Day, Day as well. What was jo- living the life unexpected? Is her book? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Done a lot with her. She's actually in our. Um, yeah she's been on the podcast as well isn't she and it is nice to know that there's people out there and you know it's not your choice and this is just the the card you've been dealt and how do you deal with it and to get any advice or any guidance is just makes it that slightly much more easier to to deal with we know from like the lost community it's so important to know that you're not alone mm-hmm. yeah so it's the mm-hmm. same with that really I, I remember when we spoke to Jodie Day on the podcast one mm-hmm. of I can't remember so this is a bit useless really but she gave us the statistics of the amount of women in their 50s who are childless not by choice mm-hmm. something like 40 percent or oh. something like astounding yeah you just I guess there's more silence from these people because in the workplace everyone's talking about their kids and they and they don't yeah whether it's because they never found a partner that mm-hmm. they have children yeah. they've been through fertility struggles or um or or loss it's uh it was an astounding number I, I mean yeah. I'm saying forty but it, I think it yeah. was about that it was it was a, a mm. lot of people can um, imagine that being a huge number and then obviously we're so lucky now that we've got things like like your podcast and books and people talking out and things like that but how did they cope with it when it was hush hush and it was 
you know, let's not talk about it. Nobody, you know, share what you're going through. It just, I can't imagine how difficult that must be. Yeah, yeah. I think Bex just said earlier about um, we've got some content on our membership platform from Jodie. She's created a Mm -hmm. course on there, transitioning Mm -hmm. into um, childlessness. And Mm -hmm. so much, uh, she's phenomenal. There's so much fantastic um, insight, really, into it. But she um, was talking about how back in the day, people were the crazy aunt. You know, the aunt that doesn't have yeah they're mm-hmm. a bit yeah. and um, she, she talked about something quite interesting about um villains mm-hmm. on t- on in films like uh-huh. the single older woman is always yeah. like like cruella deville yeah. Like, mm-hmm. yeah um I, but yeah hopefully like times are changing and people yeah, are definitely more are. open yeah. and more forthcoming yeah. and yeah, I just think, and, and less narrow-minded. Yeah. Do you not feel, though, as well, like, if there's ever, like, say, in films or, like, this in soaps, if there's someone who's having fertility struggles, they're always portrayed as this crazy, you know, oh, I can't have children, and, like, it's just... And they always end up having a child, right? Yeah, always- yes, of course they do. Of course they do. Um, but I've noticed that a lot. I have a different programmes I've watched in films and things, and you think, why are they always portrayed as if they're crazy? Or, do you know what I mean? Or obsessed and could obviously you are obsessed with it and it does make you a bit mad but is they're always portrayed like that yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. really is it yeah i wanted to ask you a a question about mm-hmm. syndrome about your uh, by the way we've lost bex or we had lost oh, bex just coming back, back. Mm-hmm. um i wanted to ask you if if you did you, you said that some girls with turner syndrome do keep some eggs yes i uh-huh. So if you had your own eggs, it mm. would be a risk of it pass Turner syndrome passing down. Does it work like that? No, no, it's um, it's not genetic. It's totally by kind of chance. So it occurs when there's either something in the egg or the sperm that when it's fertilised that that causes Turner syndrome. But no, it's not. It's not genetic. And how mm. do you feel? Um, how do you feel about the fact that it's something that is tested for now in progress? I think that that's a good thing. I think it's a positive move. I think that um, obviously you would hope that they'd be able to see, kind of spot it in pregnancy or or earlier than obviously I was diagnosed. Um, But yeah, I think it's a positive step and I do think that that's what we need to kind of focus on. Yeah. Yeah. So people can can go into things a a little bit more. Uh And I don't know how my mum would have felt if she found out, you know, during pregnancy, would that have, you know, made her really worry? Would it have changed how she dealt with her pregnancy? I, I don't know. I don't know if, maybe it was, was it a good thing that we found out later? I'm not, I don't know. You kind of, you'll never know, will you? Yeah. Oh, so interesting. And it's, it's been really, really, really lovely chatting to you. I've, you too. I've enjoyed our, our, um, our chat. And it's just so nice hearing from, um, different perspective often yeah. people who just have fertility issues um, mm. and it's unknown unexplained mm. Or, mm. but there will be people I don't know if that would be worse like, I always feel for you know when I'm listening to broadcasts it's always interesting because it's a different perspective every week but for the people who don't have answers I feel that must be so much worse you know at least I've got a reason and I know don't why I'm in the position yeah. yeah I know it's just it's difficult isn't it 
yeah. yeah, it's just one of those things like it's your this is your this is your worst because it's mm-hmm. your experience and it's yeah. yeah. We talked a lot actually in the last episode about we all compare. It's it's like a natural part of life. Natural. We all, actually, we're lucky because of this, or we minimize our our experience because mm-hmm. we know other people out there. But it, the fact is, it's just different. Mm-hmm. You're through something very different from from someone who has got unexplained infertility, or mm-hmm. they with different different difficulties and different sort mm-hmm. of diagnosis and treatment. Yeah. But it's, mm-hmm. it is your experience and needs to yeah. be treated like your experience. Yeah, it's your journey, isn't it? Yeah, thank you so much for joining us, Colette. As Laura said, I'm really sorry my internet just dipped out. Oh, having a nightmare with it at the moment. But um, yeah, thank you so much for joining us, and we do wish you all the best. And please, thank get you. Me if there's anything we can do, thank you so much. Do or anything, okay. yeah, we'd love to stay in contact. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. If there's anyone that wants to um, reach out to you, um, I imagine that you know we might reach other people who have also got Turner syndrome or know yeah. someone. Um, that'd be amazing yeah mm-hmm. there are a way that they can get in touch can we so tell- I'm on Instagram um, I think my name's Colette1x maybe okay. um, but yeah and I follow lots of Turner Syndrome accounts so um, yeah that'd be lovely if anyone has any questions or I can help in any way then yeah definitely we'll pop the link to your Instagram in the um, show notes so people can thank you so them. much alright all the best yes. Look it's lovely to speak to you cheers take care bye bye, bye. bye.